If you've been with us in the last few weeks, you know we've been doing a series here in the Gospel, excuse me, in the Gospel in the Book of Romans, not the Gospel in the Book of Romans, and we're at a really important point right here in Romans chapter 7. Chapter 6, we read last week, is such a beautiful passage and a very strong passage which deals with the issue where it talks about the fact here is sin and here is the struggle with sin and here is the problem that we have and it goes on, a beautiful passage. And then we come to this next chapter, chapter 7, it's a whopper. I mean, it's a great passage, but it is a challenging passage. Now, if you were not with us last week, just to give you a little background on what's going on, we were last week, when we looked at this, we were talking that one of the key phrases was this phrase, we were baptized into Christ Jesus. It's an unusual phrase, but it's an important phrase. It's talking about the fact that baptism was a very important thing in the early church. When you got saved, you got dunked. Okay, That's basically the way it went. And it wasn't until centuries later that they started doing just sprinkling out of, I guess, necessity. But it was very important. And what was important about it, they saw in that story, and the fact being baptized, obviously, was a connection to the story of Christ. Christ died. He went into the grave. He was brought to life again. And so that idea of baptism being connected with Christ is an important, important theme of what's going on. Saying, if we're Christ, we're connected with him, we've trusted in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are, quote, baptized into Christ Jesus. His story is our story. Think of it this way, that we've put our story together like we've put chains on here and they've put it on another person, like where you go, we go. The point is, just as Jesus went into the ground and came back to life, is saying we are connected. And Paul keeps using this key phrase, which is, in Christ. In Christ. He keeps going back and forth. When we come to Christ, we are in Christ. We are connected with him. We're like we're soldered together, welded together in Christ. And so he looks that phrase about being baptized in Christ Jesus, and he has another important. He says, now, if we died with Christ, like Jesus did, we believe we'll live with him. In other words, just as we believe the resurrection happened, we're connected with that. And because of that, we're part of what God is doing. And then in that last section in last week, there was that important thing. He said, we have been liberated from sin. He's not saying that, also, that there's never any problem with sin, but it is an important one. And he says, we are enslaved to God, and you have the fruit, that sanctification. He's now moving away from talking about justification. We have been made right by God, by his mercy. He's now, no talk, he's now starting to move over to talk about, in light of the fact that you are in Christ, then now, what is God going to use and use you in a way to have an impact? And so the idea of sanctification, becoming more holy, is going to be a big part of that. And that rolls right into our passage this morning. And to be honest, what I want to do is try to give you kind of an overview of where we're going. Because, like I mentioned in the email I sent out, this is an interesting, but it's also a challenging passage. So stay with me, in the, if you would. And the major emphasis in this passage, chapter 7, is not about the Apostle Paul as much as it's about, not, it's about the law. His major emphasis is not about the struggle. And this is the part that most of us, we think about. Paul's got the struggle. I try to do this, and it doesn't work. I try to serve God, and I just fall backwards. That is going to be a big part of the section, particularly verses like 20 to 25 when we get to the end. But right now, the big emphasis is not so much on the struggle, but it's about the law. The law is the most important thing on this, because if you think about it, 
the law was so significant to the Jewish people. So significant. That was what God, in his mercy, gave them the law that they could say, here is what you can do, here's what you cannot do. And the law was wonderful for them. I mean, if you take, for example, Psalm 129, Psalm 119, that big Psalm, 147 verses about the love of the law. The Lord's law is wonderful. The law is glorious. The law is this. The law was their, their world, their life. And so he's saying, okay, with focus here, it's going to be really important. The law is what's important. Notice what's going here. In two sections, verses 1 to 6, he's going to tell a story, an analogy. And he's going to use that story or that analogy to kind of do a segue or a bridge over to where he's coming in verses 7 to 25. And so as we see this in this passage, we can see it here in this verse. It's at verse 1. He said, since I'm speaking to those who understand law, brothers, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? Now, this is one of those duh questions. Like, once you're dead, you're dead. I better not use my quote. That's another one I'll think about. The point is, when you're dead, you're dead. And you're using this as an analogy. He's using this as an idea of a woman whose husband dies. And he's going to use that analogy to help us try to understand what he's saying about the gospel and what God is doing. He said, since I'm speaking to those who understand the law, brothers, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? The rabbis who had a, leading, you know, a teaching for everything said, if you're dead, you don't have to keep the law. That's very good of them. It's like, gee, that's really good. Now that I'm dead, I don't have to keep the law. Thanks for dealing with me. But I mean, that was important to them. They wanted to make sure they got it right. And so what happens? We see in this sense, for example, and here's where the story comes in. For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. In other words, if they're married, she's never married, then that, that's legally she has to do that. But what if her husband dies? But if her husband dies, she's released from the law regarding her husband. In other words, she is free to have a new husband if she wants to. If she wants to remarry, she can do that. That is both Roman law and it's also Jewish law. That if your husband dies and you're in good standing with the law, the rabbis and stuff, you can be, get remarried. So here's the story is going with this. But if her husband dies, she's, regard, she's released from the law regarding her husband. Now, not, follow closely in this one. So then, if she gives herself to another man while her husband is still living, she'll be called an adulteress. In other words, that's totally wrong. That's nothing we want to be having anything to do with. But it goes on to say, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law. In other words, she's free to have another relationship with her husband, get another husband. Then, if she gives herself to another man, she's not an adulteress. In other words, that's okay. So follow the story. Therefore, my brothers, you were also put to death. See where he's going this in? You were also put to death in relation to the law. In other words, just as the lady who lost her husband saying, that he says, now this is going on too. He said, you have been put to death in relation to the law. How? In what way have we been brought into that situation? He says, by the crucified body of Jesus Messiah. Again, this idea of connectedness Christ, the idea of saying, okay, if we're dead to that, what do we have now? Well, the new thing is what happened, it's through the death of Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus is what helps us now to know the Messiah. 
For what reason? So you may belong to another, to him, that is to Jesus, to Christ, who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. In other words, once again, God is, I mean, excuse me, once again, the apostle is pointing out, the goal of this is that we would have a life where we are, we are having fruit. That is, we are serving the Lord and we're being used by him. So notice what he says here in verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, this kind of goes back to what Paul was saying last week in chapter 6. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us, and it bore fruit for death. Now here's where it starts getting a little odd, if it's not already odd, is the question of like, wait a minute, I thought we already just died to Christ, we're connected with Christ, yeah. But he said, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions operated through the law in every part of us and bore fruit to death. In other words, he's saying this whole question, well, what is it right? Is it the law good or is the law bad? And Paul's saying, they're both correct. They're both correct. The sin, I mean, law is still there, and law can be both good or bad, depending on the, the situation. And he's saying, but here's a situation where the law is not good. So notice what he says here. But now, Paul likes to use that phrase. After giving you something to think about, he says, but now we've been released from the law. Like just that woman whose husband died, she's free from the law of being married. She can now marry if she wants to. Paul would say, in the Lord, marrying a believer. But now we've been released from the Lord since we have died to what held us, talking about the law, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Again, Paul's now moving to this idea of saying, here we had the law. The law is good. The law is wonderful. The law gave us things to understand. This is right. This is wrong. This is what you will do. This is what you must not do. But he's saying the law had its limitations. And here you see that limitation now. Now we've been released from the law, saying we have died to what held us so we may serve in a new way. He's taken us from the Old Testament, and he's now walking into the New Testament. We call it the New Covenant. We're no longer under the, all, the Old Testament law, though not the law is bad. He's going to keep going, the law is good. The law is wonderful. There's much we can learn from it. But in this new era of the Spirit, when Christ has come, when the Holy Spirit is active in the lives of believers, it's a new thing has happened. There's a new era that we're coming into and in which God has given us. And so we work in the new way of the Spirit, not of the law, but he said, and not in the old letter of the law. Now notice, if you would, when we come to this section, He's going to build upon this. He likes to say, what should we say? He likes that one. What should we say then? Now, here's the question. Is the law, speaking of the Mosaic law, sin? You've got to be careful here, because in one you could say, mm, well, sort of, because we've seen that the law has been corrupted at times itself. And he said, well, what should we say? Is the law sin? Paul says, absolutely no. He loves this Greek phrase, meganoita. No way, no way is what it's saying. Is the law wrong? No. He says, but on the contrary. He said, I wouldn't have known sin if it were not for the law. Now imagine that there's no law. You're landing on the moon and there's no law. And somebody says, hey, what do you want to do? I guess we can do anything we want. No one tells us what to do here. But then once there is law, it's like, oh, well, you'd have to obey it or disobey it. And so he's saying the same thing. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. In other words, law, God at Mount Sinai gave us the Ten Commandments and the 300 plus that went with it. 
And he said, here's what you do, here's what you won't do. And so he said, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know the law. For example, I would have known what it is to covet the law had it not said, do not covet. What's interesting, it's the last of the Ten Commandments, and he uses that. He had some other ones that would be maybe a little saucier that he could have used, but this is a good one. His point is saying, I would not know, I do not, the phrase when it says, do not covet. And you've probably seen this happens a lot of times before, the whole idea of like saying, where somebody says, you can't do that. What does that often bring into your heart and your mind when you hear that? Oh, yeah? Watch me. Do you ever see some of the things they've done in psychology things where they ask people and they tell them, say, hey, this part of the lawn, you can't walk in this lawn. And you can hear people going, do, 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 do. you know, they're going to they're gonna do what they want to do. And Paul's saying, oh, well, that's what the law tells me, you know. It says, don't covet. He says, now I do understand what's going on, and I don't like that. Now, notice what he does here. We've said before in the last few weeks, Paul does something that we normally don't do in our way we speak. But he does this very important. He takes a thing like sin, and he personifies it. He makes it like it's alive. It's like a power. It's a force. It's, it's kind of like, like something terrible that's there. And he's saying, if they, sometimes we use that term when we think about, about Lord sin. Lord sin who wants to destroy us. Lord sin who wants to keep us from following Christ. He said, and sin seizing an opportunity through the commandments. And those are those commandments, they're there, and I'd like to break them and go, okay, go try it, we're gonna try it. In other words, the sin continues to tell us, don't do that, don't follow God, you don't want to obey him. He said, sin produced in me. I'm assuming this is the Apostle Paul talking and says, sin in me, coveting of every kind. And he says, for apart from the law, sin is dead. If we don't have it, you don't have to worry about it. But he says in verse 9, once I was alive apart from the law. Now, that's another strange thing. What does that mean? I was alive apart from the law. Two possibilities, maybe more, but two major ones. It could be talking about Paul when he was a young man. Remember a Jewish guy gets a bar mitzvah and a big deal that you get to have it, and it's saying you're now becoming a man. Maybe he's talking about during that time when I was, you know, a kid and waiting for my bar mitzvah and stuff. Maybe that point where I was good. But once I got to my bar mitzvah and I realized all these laws, all of a sudden everything's changed. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, it sprang to life. Like suddenly all these laws that hadn't been any significant to me, suddenly they're growing. They're big. And he said, not only that, I sprang to life, but he said, I died. Well, the fact is, it looks like since Paul kept writing, he was not particularly dead at that time, but he's using it metaphorically in terms of death. He said, the commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. Not, not didn't help. James Dunn, one of the good commentators, said this. Here in a nutshell is the human dilemma and depth of man's tragedy. Were it not for sin, the law would promote life and relationship with God. But given the power of sin, in law is actually provokes man's self-assertion. It leads to death. Again, is there anything wrong with the law? No, but the law can be corrupted. The law can become even more bad than it could be. And so he says in verse 11, for sin, seizing an opportunity. Again, Lord, sin, this power. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, it killed me. Once again, this idea of Lord sin has grabbed what was good and destroyed it through me. He said, so then, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and it's just and good. Therefore, did what is good 
cause my death? Paul says, mega anointa, no way. On the contrary, notice what he says here. Sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might be seen sinful beyond measure. Like you think it's bad, it even gets worse. So notice what he says. For we know, now think about this verse. This verse is one of the ones, verse 14 and 15, where it makes a lot of Christians say, who is this person saying this, writing this? Is this Paul? If it is, what does he understand what's going on here? Notice what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is good. It's spiritual. It's from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But then he makes a statement, but I'm made out of flesh. When Paul talks about flesh, most of the time he's talking about the flesh in a negative sense, a bad sense. But I'm made out of flesh. Now notice this phrase, sold into sin's power. Yikes. If this is the Apostle Paul talking about himself, and he said, I'm sold into sin's power, this is why the reason why some scholars, particularly some of the better ones, even evangelical ones, think that Paul here is describing not his, his, his life, but he's talking about what's going here and what he's dealing with here is saying that this is a person who's not a Christian. They said only a person who's not a Christian would make statements like being sold and sense power. In other words, this person we're talking about is really just a person who's not a believer. They're not a Christian. Okay, we'll cut to that in just a second. Whoop, I think we are. I think I went the wrong way. Okay, so notice what he said. For we know that the law is spiritual. We'll just clip that one. Now, if I, now here's the struggle he starts doing with. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. The law is good, but sin keeps coming in and wrecking my life. Verse 17, so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. Whoa, whoa, stop for a minute. It's real easy to misunderstand this passage. So now I'm no longer the one doing it. It ain't me, Lord. It's that terrible sin inside of me. I'd really like to be a good man and a good woman, but you know that sin just keeps powering up my life, and it's not me. It's kind of like, well, never mind, I'm going to use that illustration. Anyways, so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin living in me. Now notice what he says. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. Again, that's, he, Paul likes to use this term flesh. He used in the sense, and, and some of those guys are in Boy Scouts or been in Boy Scouts. And you know how many times you sat around the campfire and the campfire's going down, and there's just that one little coal that's left, still glowing there in the dark. And if you went over to it and, boy, you see how that gets bright? And not only that, but that which around you can start burning. He's saying, in each one of us, there's a little core of sin, way deep, that all it needs is a little encouragement. And up comes the flames. And he's saying, that's what happens. I want to follow the Lord. I want to do what he wants me to do. And yet he says, but look, it. I, I, I thought I was doing really well. And then this thing, temptation came into my life, and suddenly, whoosh, out came the flames again. So notice what he says. Here's a person that's in deep struggle. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. The very things I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and it goes the other way as well. 
And so you see that the problem that he's going with said, now, if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing, but it's sin that lives in me. Now, you've got to be careful saying, oh, so it's saying, I don't, I'm really trying to be good, but actually it's sin's problem. It's not my problem. It's still our problem. But notice what he says. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do good, evil is with me. Evil is with me. It's right there. Now, notice what he says. For in my inner self, in my very core of who I am, for in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. It's a wonderful law that God has given us. But he's saying, but here's what sin, sin has wrecked me. He said, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. My mind wants to do good. It wants to do what God wants me to do. And it's taken me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And this famous statement that you've heard many times, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Talking about being conflicted, this is exactly what Paul's talking about here. And he say, goes on to say this, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank goodness we've got that phrase. It's a good thing he doesn't stop right there either, though, because he's got something important to say. So then, going with it, so then, within my mind, I find myself a slave to the law of God. But boy, with my flesh, that little core cindering down there deep, with that little thing in my flesh, it's to the law of sin. I'm conflicted. I'm struggling. I want to do what's right. Why can't I do it? This passage has been talked about for nearly 2,000 years. There's been all kinds of discussions and papers and articles written. But the point that we want to follow here is saying, recognize what God is doing in us and through us. So here's the question. We'll make this real quick. Quite people ask question, who is this person that says, I try so hard, but it doesn't work, and I did this wrong? Who is this person? Like I said, most of the early church fathers and most of the modern commentators that are evangelical say this has got to be talking about an uns unsaved person. No person would make comments about how I'm a slave to sin if they weren't already, you know, not, I mean, they were just not a Christian, non-Christian. That's possible. When I theologically look at it, it seems to make most sense to me. But on the other hand, don't say there is not another hand. There is another hand. It doesn't seem to fit what we know of life. And so I think when he says unsaved person, I think Paul is actually talking about a Christian, whether it's he himself or another person. Let's assume it's Paul. I think Paul is saying, I think this is a person we're talking about who really is a Christian. Now, here's the problem. There's many people say, the apostle Paul would never say something like that. Paul, one of the greatest of the greats, you're going to say that Paul is going to be like a Christian who's in his heart is trying to do the best and he keeps falling and he keeps struggling and he thinks he's doing well and suddenly Lord sin gets a hold of him and gets him rolling again and life is, he's saying, that can't be Paul. Because that can't be Paul. Sure it isn't. And I would say, you know what? It sure can. It absolutely can. And so we took at this passage. It said it could be an unsaved person, be a Christian, but this is important. The reality is if we're Christians, we're in a struggle, whether you like it or not. The Christian struggle is a real one. Martin Luther had this famous phrase, simul justice et peccator. At the same time, we're justified, but we're also sinner. 
That's an important phrase, symbol justice et peccator. At the same moment, we have been justified by God's grace, but we're also a sinner. It's saying we're never going to reach to the point until we go to be with Christ where sin's not going to be an issue in your life. That's very important. I mentioned last week that I, when I went to college, it was a Wesleyan school, and there were some people that took the idea of the fact that if you work hard enough, you can find perfection. And I'll tell you, it's a lie. Or also, all you have to do is you have to redefine it to make it to work to your work. Symbol justice at peccator. At the same moment, he said, that I've been justified by grace, sin is right there with me. It's like tagging me. It's following me. Every time I think I'm really going, Lord, I'm going with you. I'm walking with you. Things are going good. And I got like somebody chained in me. It's Lord's sin. And he's going, guess what? I'm here. Wouldn't you like to have some fun? You're going, oh, Lord. Here we go. More temptation. Real quick. There's a danger here in all this. Some of the phrases where Paul talks about the fact, he says, you know, um, he goes on to the danger, saying, well, it's not me, Lord, doing, you know, it's that flesh in me. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're, we're all part of one thing. His point is, be careful you don't go in that. But the other one he says is, you've got to make sure that you realize that you, we are in a battle. In D-Day, in June 6, Rommel said, if we get the Americans and the Allies, if they get onto that beach and we don't stop them in the first couple weeks, the game's all over. He's saying, once we get going, we start rolling. He said, we're not going to be able to stop them. At that, that'll be the end of it. And it was. His point, he's saying here, is in that battle, there is going to be a time where we're going to continue to grow. We're going to grow in our faith. We're going to be continuing to see how God works in our life to ultimately we'll come to that day where we come where we have come, where God wants us to be, to be following him. This passage is a difficult one, but it is a crucial one. I was looking around to try to find... Uh, a statement or something that has to do. Let me see if I can find this now. I've got it. I found an interesting thing that I wanted to share with you. Many of you are familiar with John McCarthy, who's had an amazing ministry over many, many years. Listen, if you would, to John MacArthur, because uh, he's a really interesting guy. He's a very powerful guy, powerful thing. But listen how he's dealing. He's dealing with a person who said, you know, well, a person can't really be a Christian if they're really having these struggles in their life. And there'd be a lot of Christian leaders who would say, that's right, he's not really a Christian then. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He's dealing with this question. Somebody asked, do you think because this pastor person who did bad things, he's not a Christian now? Paul said, I mean, John MacArthur said this. Is this person a Christian? The only way to understand this is that this is a believer. This is very much a believer. This is every believer who struggles and is regenerated, who feels the agony of the struggle. And in fact, this is Paul. This is Paul, who when he wrote this was mature. He is in Christ, strong in the faith. He never got over his sinfulness. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be an apostle. In Ephesians 3, he says, to me, the very least of all the saints, was grace given to me to preach. First Timothy, he said, I was shown mercy in the grace of God. Grace of our Lord is more abundant to me. Christ came into the world to save sinners. He said, in 1 Timothy, he said, in his maturity at the end of his life, he talked about the fact, in verse Timothy, he talked about Timothy, at the end of all his years of walking with Christ, nothing had changed about he had viewed himself. He was a massive disappointment to himself. He was the foremost sinner that he knew. 
Think about that. He was the foremost sinner that he knew. The person speaking, the Apostle Paul, the one speaking here, he hates sin. According to the verse, it says the person here loves righteousness. He said the person speaking here in this inner being delights in God's law, finds joy in it. The person speaking here deeply regrets his sin, and that's strong through the whole text. And the person speaking here thanks God that ultimately there'll be a deliverance. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, even though it hasn't come yet. And that's why he said, so I go on the one hand with my mind serving the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. Now notice what he says. This is a very mature Christian. There'd be other people would say, no, it's not. He can't be a really good person. He said, this is a very mature Christian. This is mature as you get, and you see yourself as a Christian really is. Don't try to kid anybody. This is you. This is me. We're all here. We live in two extremes. They're held in tension in our lives. We live in this world as people of flesh and blood, and we're subjected to all the conditions of mortal life. But we're sons of Adam by our first birth, spiritually by our second birth. However, we have passed from death into a new realm, a realm not of darkness, but a realm of light, a realm not of sin, but of righteousness. We now walk in newness of life. We are new creations. We're no longer in Adam. We are in Christ. And yet, the flesh remains. Here, then, is a self-portrait of a man whose conscience of his presence of his presence and power of indwelling sin in his life, and he sees it as they're still dictating things opposite to his own desires. Now notice this phrase, and he will struggle in his life against this power in this life, never overcome it finally or fully, saying you're never going to achieve it. You're going to struggle with it to the day Jesus takes you home. Paul's world, word in Galatians 5 sums it up. The flesh loves lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other. So you can't do the things you desire. And then he ends with this. That's the Christian life. This mature spiritual apostle fought the battle just the way you do and I do and everybody else does. That is a great statement. I wish I was smart enough to write it, but I didn't. But you get his point. We're never going to arrive until you arrive at the gates of heaven. We're going to have challenge. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have failure. It doesn't mean we rejoice in it. It means when we fall down, we pick ourselves up and say, Lord, I messed it up again. Would you forgive me? Give me the strength to go on. Help me to move on in relationship. And he's saying, I can do that. But it ain't going to be perfect until you go to a perfect place, the place that he's prepared for us. Father, we thank you that you've helped us with a very difficult passage, but yet it's a powerful passage. It reminds us, Father, the reality of who we are as believers. We are believers. We're no longer of Adam. We are in Christ. We have a new relationship, and yet that little core of sin deep within our heart continues to draw us, to pull us away from all that would be honoring to you. So, Father, help us in the battle Father, we pray for those that are in the battle, all of those, but we pray worse for them, even more for those that aren't in the battle and should be. And we ask, Lord, you'd help us by the power of your spirit, enabled by your spirit, to be the men and women, the boys and girls that you want us to be.
We ask this in Jesus' name.